Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, my name is Ryan West. I'm the congregational care pastor here at Church of the Savior. Pastor Steve is at the men's retreat. Pastor Bill is preaching at the men's retreat. So if you came on Friday night, you're going to hear the same sermon. Pastor Steve told me, he said, you got three times to get it right. So maybe third time's the charm. Maybe you all get, get the correct one. I don't know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just release a spirit of faith today in the name of Jesus. I pray that your word goes forth and it accomplish everything it's meant to accomplish. Help your servant today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to stay in Hebrews. We're actually going to look at the book of Joshua, but we're going to start in the New Testament. Now, I told the first group, I said, if I were to kind of categorize this sermon, it would kind of be like a freight train. Once it gets on the track, it gets rolling, and it's kind of hard to stop. So y'all ready to keep up with me? Okay. So Hebrews 11, many times Hebrews 11 is referred to the, the by faith chapter, the faith chapter, or as many like to call it, and as do I, this is the hall of faith chapter. It lists the, the who's who of faith in the Bible. Now, when you look at the entire book of Hebrews, it's very easy to see that the New Testament author of Hebrews knew that the Old Testament and understanding the Old Testament is very important. And I agree. I believe that the knowing of the Old Testament is the best foundation for understanding the New Testament. You know, when you read the Old Testament, it's amazing to see how God used people just like you and me to accomplish his purposes. We see how God used events and personalities to illustrate important biblical truths. Through the prophets of the Old Testament, God announced the coming, the coming of the Messiah. And through the amazing system of sacrifices, God taught his people about the work of Jesus. It's amazing. Now, we hear Pastor Steve say this all the time. The Bible's all one story. It all points to Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, the truth tends to be right there on the surface. It kind of jumps out at you. It's easier to see. Now, in the Old Testament, it can kind of be a little bit more like, like an archaeological dig. You have to get down a couple layers under the surface before you see the biblical truths. So in the book of Hebrews, and you know, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think it was Paul, Luke, Barnabas, Apollos, Priscilla, whoever wrote Hebrews. We have a New Testament author writing to a New Testament church. He's writing to Hebrew Christians. Now, these Hebrew Christians, they were getting ready to possibly take a turn back to Judaism. This could have been um, because of spiritual immaturity. It could have been because of persecution, doubt, false teaching. But we see this New Testament author writing to the New Testament church about Old Testament personalities. 
You've got names such as Moses, Abraham, David. We'll list through some of those in a minute. And these Hebrew Christians, you see, a lot of Jews accepted the Old Testament. But they didn't accept Jesus as the coming Messiah. So these Hebrew Christians that whoever the author is, is writing to were very versed in Scripture. They had a professed faith in Jesus Christ. They were just in danger of going back on that faith. And this author is using the Old Testament personalities, characters, real people that these Hebrew Christians would have known about to teach biblical truths for that day. And it's the same for us. Like I said, names such as Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, King David, and so on. We're going to take an Old Testament personality and learn truths, biblical truths, for today. Now, all of these people, all of these hall of faithers listed in Hebrews 11, they share one thing in common. These Hall of Faithers, these are the ones that if you were to go to Cooperstown, New York, they had the most RBIs, the best batting average, the most home runs. They were Ricky Henderson with the most stolen bases. If you were to go to Canton, these are the Mean Joe Greens. These are the Tom Brady's. They got the most Super Bowl rings. They got the most sacks, interceptions, most time in the league. I almost said Bill Belichick. Oh, I did say it. Wow. Why did I just say that? Sorry. I'm a Steelers fan, just FYI. If you were to go up to Massachusetts, they're the Larry Birds, the John Stocktons, the David Robinsons, the who's who. And they all share one thing in common. What is it? It's faith. Faith with a capital F. In fact, faith alone in Hebrews 11 is mentioned 24 times, if you want to count. In the King James Version of the Bible, faith is mentioned 336 times times. And you find out, I believe it's in verse 5 or verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says without this common trait of faith, we can't what? Please God. Without faith, you cannot please God. Now, I've never been big into birthdays. I just haven't. But as the month of March, as I was a child, would start to roll around I would start to get excited. March 25th, write that in your margins. That's my birthday. You can give Pastor Ryan lots of presents. I got a big one coming up. I'll be 25 years old. No, I'm just kidding. I'll be 41. But speaking of birthdays, she might smack me for doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's a person in the house, a very special person who has a birthday today. She brought me into this world. It is my mother it is her birthday today. She's 50 years old. No, I won't say it. So, Mama, I'm going to start to cry. Thank you so much for your support, your love, and mostly, along with Papa, your prayers and all the people that you gathered around you to pray this prodigal home out of the pig pen. Thank you. Now, I would start to get excited before my birthday as a kid. Anybody ever felt that way before a birthday? You start to get excited. You start to get anxious because you know, I'm going to get to eat birthday cake. There's going to be sweets. 
you know people are going to come over and you're going to have a party and celebrate. And you know that you're going to get gifts. But you hope, you hope that maybe something's going to be a surprise. You see, birthdays combined assurance and anticipation. And faith does the same thing. Faith is confidence based on past experience that God's new and fresh surprises will surely be yours. Now, that word sure, if you look at verse 1 in Hebrews 11, in my Bible it said there's two words that describe faith, sure and certain. Verse 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, these two qualities, secure and certain, need a firm beginning point and end point. So the beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says he is. His character does not change. His nature does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then the end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says he will do. We believe in his character. We believe in his promises. And when we believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises coming to fruition yet, that's when we demonstrate true faith. Makes me think of the story of Thomas. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus appeared to some of the disciples. Thomas was not with them. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. Then it says they're in a room, says the door's locked. Jesus comes through a wall, probably scared them half to death. They probably went, dude, stop doing that. And he says, Thomas, here you go. They're right there. And you can tell Thomas gets invicted, says, oh, Lord, my Lord. And Jesus says to Thomas, you believe because you've seen. And then he says, but blessed are those that have believed and not seen. We're called to live by faith, not by sight. Now, in this hall of fame, this hall of faith in Hebrews 11, there's only two women mentioned in the entire chapter. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. One very likely candidate and one very unlikely candidate for this prestigious hall of faith. Sarah was a godly woman. God used Sarah's dedicated body to bring Isaac into the world. Rahab was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. She didn't belong to God's chosen people by her historical background. She actually came out of a world of pagan worship, multiple gods. And perhaps the most tarnishing trait is that of her profession. She was a harlot, a lady of the evening, a prostitute, a woman who sold her body for money. So humanly speaking, these two women have absolutely nothing in common. 
But from the divine viewpoint, these two women shared the most important thing in life in common. They exercised faith and they had a saving faith in the one true God of Israel. Now, there's four types of faith that Rahab demonstrates. But before we talk about these four types of faith, it's important to know Rahab had a saving faith in the one true God of Israel before anything in Joshua chapter 2 happened. Saving faith for us is that we believe in the work of the cross, Jesus, and Jesus alone is the only one we trust in for our salvation. That's it. And I believe that Hebrews 31 and James 2.25 indicate that Rahab did indeed put her faith in God. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, the harlot Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She was obedient to God because she had faith in God. James 2.25 says, In the same way was not even Rahab the harlot considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. She was called righteous. She had faith in God. Now, turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 2. We find the story of Rahab. She lives in Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho covered about eight or nine acres, and there is actually archaeological evidence that walls, two walls, about 15 feet apart, protected the city. And we'll find in our reading that Rahab actually lived inside the wall at the gate. So in this section of the wall where Rahab lived, when citizens would be coming in and out, strangers would be coming in and out, they were walking through the red light district. Now Joshua sent two spies says, I want you to get a lay of the land. Jericho was a very strategic city for Joshua. Military, speak military-wise, if you were to conquer Jericho, you could literally cut straight across and split north and south. So you could literally conquer and divide and conquer, making it easier to defeat the north and defeat the south. Now, We're going to pick up, we're going to get through pretty much the whole chapter this morning. Right in verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a harlot or a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now stop right there. You know, I got to thinking to myself, oh, by the way, Point number one is courageous faith. Courageous faith is point number one. I started thinking to myself, now why would they go into the house of a harlot? These people of God, why would they go into a house of ill repute? And I got to thinking, well, she lives in the wall by the gate. So if they needed to make a quick escape, they could do that. It's probably a pretty good place to gain information about the city. And then I also thought, well, if people saw them, they may just think that, well, they're just customers. They're just 
going in to do their thing. But then I thought to myself, no, no, no. The fingerprints of God are all over this thing. Rahab was the only person in Jericho who put any faith and trust in God. Her heart was open to God. So more than anything, I think it was the providence of God. I think God led the spies to Rahab. Moving on, picking up in verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So somehow the king found out. Somehow the spies were identified and the king was told. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered the house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. What's that called? Sister told a bold-faced lie. We'll talk about that in a minute. She lied, straight up. She said, I don't know where they went. And then she says, oh, I lost my spot. Where did it go? Thank you. Was that Jane? Who was that? Was that you? That was Jane. At dusk, when it came time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab demonstrated a courageous faith. She took her life into her own hands at this moment. And that in itself is evidence of her faith. Because folks, faith can't be hidden. And it is amazing how God will use people of simple faith to accomplish great purposes. These spies represented God's people. If the king found out about her deception, she was dead meat. There was no trial. She probably would have been killed right there in front of the gate. Blood spilled right there. But it poses a question. She demonstrates faith, a courageous faith, but she also lied. So how do we defend her lie? She, didn't, she demonstrated faith by not turning the spies in, but then if she had turned the spies in, she would have been showing disobedience to God, which is also a sin. You see, what we have here is you have, you have a scenario where there's two sins on the table. You know, the midwives in Exodus found themselves in the same situation. They lied to Pharaoh, said, we didn't make it in time to help give birth to the children. So they lied to Pharaoh about arriving too late, which is a sin, it's a lie. The Bible says sinning's a lie, but they didn't disobey God's higher command and they would have if they had followed Pharaoh's orders. But it says God blessed the midwives and yet they lied. So here it is. 
When you have two sins on the table, and I'm not condoning lying, I'm not not condoning being disobedient to God, but when there are two sins on the table and there is no other option, there is no other way out, you choose the path that will bring God the most glory. And that's what Rahab did. So ethical dilemma aside, the main lesson is that Rahab's faith was conspicuous. It was visible. It was not hidden. It was courageous. So that's what I ask us today. These spies could tell that Rahab was indeed a believer in the God of Israel because her faith. Do people see your faith? Can they tell that you're a believer because your faith is conspicuous and not inconspicuous? Or is your faith hidden? Number two, Rahab demonstrated a confident faith. Picking up in verse 8. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to uh, Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below." Rahab said, we heard about you all. And not only have we heard about you, but we heard about your God. And Rahab said, now, I've made a decision to align myself with you and your God. Now, this is really interesting. Rahab wasn't given any more information than anybody else. And we know this. Because she uses the plural, we and us. We heard. We were afraid. The message was delivered to us. But in the middle of everybody knowing, I've made a different decision than everybody else. Everybody else wants to kill you, destroy you, get rid of you. But I identify with you. Therefore, I will hide you. You see, 40 years earlier, 10 spies went into the land. Rahab showed more faith than those 10 spies. She says in verse 9, I know the Lord has given you the land. Her faith was based on facts, not just feeling. She'd heard of the miracles that God had performed, starting with the parting of the Red Sea. And what does Romans 10, 17 say? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Look what she says in verse 11. The Lord your God, he is God in heaven and in earth below. That is a confident confession of faith from the lips of a woman who lived in a culture that was imprisoned 
by pagan idolatry. She believed in one God, the God of Israel and God alone, not the multitude of gods that the others worshipped. Now listen to this. Rahab made a decision against the culture. Everybody else had heard about Israel, but she said, I'm not going to align myself with everybody else. She said, I'm going to align myself with God. Now, a lot of us, especially in the church, say, I'm aligned with God on Sunday, on Wednesday, when I take communion. But if anybody were to see you any other time, they wouldn't know if you're any different from the world. And that's a problem with the church today. We look too much like the world. Now, I almost didn't say this because I thought, I might offend somebody. God said, you need to say this. Folks, listen to me. Your assurance of salvation, your assurance of eternal life, isn't based only on what you know in the Bible or how you feel in your hearts. It is also based on how you live. And if there has never been a change in your behavior, if people cannot see Christ in you, if your faith is hidden and not conspicuous, you may have never actually had a salvation experience. This is, this is serious stuff. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It isn't enough to say, Lord, Lord, we must obey what he tells us to do. And if you are seeking the popularity of the world, you will go down with the world. If you are seeking the notoriety of the culture, you will go down with the culture. If people look at you and they see you more aligned with the culture than with God, you will go down with the ship. This is just a reality, folks. If you are a Christ follower, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, you will find yourself by yourself because it's not cool to follow Christ. It is counterculture. But that's what we need to be. We're not called. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Next, she had a concerned faith. This might be the most important point. She had a concerned faith. Picking up in verse 12. She says to the spies, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness. Circle that word, kindness. We're going to come back to it. Show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, Rahab had received mercy from God. She made a choice, a faith decision. I am not going to align myself with the culture, the way of the world. I'm going to align myself with God. And after she received 
the mercy and grace from God, she became burdened for her family. She became burdened for the lost. Makes me think of Andrew. Andrew's hanging out with John the Baptist. Jesus comes walking by and John the Baptist goes, behold, that's the Lamb of God right there. What's the first thing Andrew does? He runs to his brother Simon Peter and says, we have seen the Messiah. But it doesn't stop there. The next thing it says, and then he took him to Jesus. Read this with me. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. When was the last time you led someone to the Lord? When was the last time you had a burden for the lost? I am so thankful that at Church of the Savior, we train people to share the gospel through a program called Evangelism Explosion. Now, when I was brought on full-time, it was in my job description. Pastor Steve said, Ryan, you got to take at least two semesters of EE. And I'll be honest, I thought to myself, I was like, man, I tell everybody my story. I ain't afraid to share my testimony with anybody. I was a drunk for almost 20 years. God got a hold of me. Now I'm like this. I was a pothead for almost 20 years. God got a hold of me. Now I'm like this. But that's where I stopped. I told people about Jesus, but I never shared the gospel with them and took them to Jesus and gave them the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And it works. I wish I had time to tell you the whole story. I don't. A few months ago, uh, our HVA system was messing up in our apartment. And I told him, I said, I want to be there when the person comes because I want to talk to him about what's been going on. This young man, Trace was his name. Young man walks in, says, hey, I'm here to work on your HVAC system. I just start talking to him. Start asking him, hey, what's your life like? What do you do? Where'd you grow up? Just building a relationship with him. And I told him about my life, told him about my story. Ask him about his church background. Come to find out, he had had a saving faith experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, but he'd walked away. He was a prodigal. I shared the five points of the gospel with him. He said, you're the third person that's done that with me in a month. I think the Lord's telling me something. I said, well, what are you waiting for, man? So right there in my apartment, prayed for forgiveness, rededicated his life to the Lord. That probably would not have happened if I had not taken EE. I would have told him my testimony and I would have stopped right there. It's not just enough to say, this is what Jesus has done for me. We need to say, now come on, I'm going to take you to Jesus. And it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Go therefore. It's a command and we're all called to do it if we have a saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, moving on. I need a drink of water. Y'all staying with me? Okay. Now, Rahab wanted assurance from the two spies when the city fell. Now, they would guarantee 
the family's safety. And these men gave the guarantee in two ways. They pledged their word and they pledged their lives that they would not break the oath of their word. In other words, the spies became surety for Rahab's family. Now, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs actually teaches against surety in the business world because there's risk involved and you take a chance of losing everything. You ever heard the saying, there's no such thing as a sure thing? Well, in the earthly realm, that might be true. But in the spiritual realm, because of Jesus, because of the finished work of the cross, because he that knew no sin, he who owed no debts, was willing to die for you and willing to die for me and become surety for us. That is a sure thing, my friends. I used to be a betting man. I'm not a betting man anymore. But I guarantee you, you shove your chips all in for Jesus Christ, you ain't never going to lose. That's a guarantee. You know the song, Jesus Paid It All? Listen to Hebrews 7, 22. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So the next time we sing that song, Jesus Paid It All, remember Jesus pledged himself as a guarantee, as surety, as a sure thing for you and for me. He died for us. He bled for us. He rose for us. And as long as he lives, our salvation is secure and it is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we read Hebrews 7, 22, and I love this. There's a promise down in verse 25. It says, therefore. And you know, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look at what happens before it. You did this, this, and this. Therefore, this, this, and this is going to happen to you. So listen to this wonderful promise because of what was said in verse 22. Verse 25 says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. And that is the only way to the Father is through Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Now, the spies warned Rahab. They said, don't tell anybody about what we're doing. If you tell anybody about what we're doing, this agreement's canceled. Praise God, that's not the way it is with Jesus. He wants everybody to know that he paid the price. He wants everybody to know that they can have assurance and salvation of eternal life when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Rahab, if she talked too much, not only was she in danger, but her family was in danger. Folks, if we don't talk enough, lost people around us are in danger of never having the opportunity to meet Jesus. We got to be like Andrew. Tell them about Jesus and then take them to him. Then you let the Holy Spirit do the work after that. Lastly, she had a covenant faith. Now, 
Before we read verses 15 through 21, I told you to remember that word kindness or kindly. Kindness in Hebrew is translated hesed. It refers to God's loyal, covenantal, covering love. So it covers us. Now we pick up in verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. There you know she lived in the wall. Now she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. So the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother and brothers and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside the house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house or covered, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You can read the rest of the chapter. The spies basically go back. Tell Joshua everything that happened. So the spies say to Rahab, you have to get everyone inside of the house covered when this city's taken because it's going to be taken. And that's what God's Hesed does for us. This covenantal covering love, it's like an umbrella. When it's raining outside and you're covered, doesn't mean it's not raining. It's just not raining on you because you're covered. The walls might be coming down all around you, but you're okay because God has got you covered. A covenantal covering of his love. Now, listen to this. Rahab made a faith decision, and then she cut a deal. I'm going to say that again. Rahab made a faith decision, and then she cut a deal. She made the decision. I'm not going to align myself with the culture. I'm not going to align myself with the world. I'm aligning myself with God. I'm going to say this one more time. She made a faith decision first And then she cut a deal. That's not what we do. We say, God, this is what I want you to do. And if you do what I ask you to do, then this is what I'll do. That's backwards Christian soldier. The faith decision must precede the cutting of the deal. You see, you want God to do something for you, by you, from you, with you, before you've ever exercised any faith that you don't see. And we learned without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants to see your faith before you cut a deal. 
He wants to see you trust him without seeing before he gives you something to see. It'd be really easy to live by sight, but we're not called to live by sight. We're called to live by faith. If it's just given to me, I don't have to trust in God. Faith calls us to be dependent on God. He wants to see you step into your Jordan before he's going to part it. And that's exactly what happens in Joshua. The priests holding the Ark of the Covenant were told, you got to step into the water. I can see them standing by the river's edge going, uh, well, Lord, you didn't do this for the Red Sea. I mean, you, you just parted it, so why don't you do that again? Uh-uh. You got to step into your Jordan before I will part it. And then just wait and see what God will do. You trust God without seeing, and I guarantee you, he's going to show up, and he's going to show up big. He'll part whatever waters you need parted. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about covenant. A covenant is an agreement, a contract between two or more parties with certain conditions laid down for all the parties to obey. We see many divine covenants in the Bible. God's covenant with Noah, Abraham, the messianic covenant with David, the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, many times in these biblical covenants, God would appoint a physical or material token to remind the people of what had been promised. So the covenant of Abraham was sealed by the rite of circumcision. When God established his covenant with Israel, both the covenant book and the covenant people were sprinkled in blood. The rainbow, that's a covenant promise with Noah. Jesus took the bread, took the cup as material, physical tokens that represent the new covenant in his blood. That's why when we take of the elements, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering the covenant of his blood. Now in Rahab's case, it was the scarlet rope hung from the window. The scarlet rope would identify the house of safety. Now scarlet is the color of blood. It should remind us of the covenantal promise of the blood, the covering in the blood. It makes me think in Egypt when they smeared the blood over the doorposts, they were covered by the blood. And when the angel of death passed over, they would not be harmed because they were covered. What a wonderful promise. Now, there's an important note You can read it in your notes or up on the screen. It's important to note that Rahab and her family were saved by faith in God and God alone, not by the faith of a rope hanging in a window. The fact that she hung the rope, made a faith decision, is proof that she had faith. Faith in the living God means salvation, and faith in his covenant gives assurance but faith in the token of a covenant is religious superstition. 
and can give neither salvation nor assurance. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you go to Bible study doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You can go to seminary with a Bible underneath your arm and still be going to hell. Just because you show up on Sundays, just because you give to the poor, just because you tithe does not mean that you are going to heaven. There is one way and one way alone to heaven that is a saving faith in Christ Jesus. And what saving faith is, is you believe Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He purchased a place for us in heaven by paying your sin debt and my sin debt, and he offers it to you as a free gift. That's the only way to heaven. And I just did evangelism explosion with you right there. Worship team, come on up. Now, I want to tell you something more about Rahab, and I'm going to tell you what. If this doesn't knock your socks off, we need to have a conversation afterwards. Because when I found this out, I did not know, I mean... I was floored. So in Joshua chapter six, we see the walls come down by the supernatural power of God. Well, not all the wall, because there was that section of wall that couldn't have come down because Rahab and her family were in it. So not all the wall came down. Rahab was then transported to Israel. So now a prostitute has become a proselyte. And what a proselyte is, is someone who is adopted into the Jewish family. So now this lady of the evening is escorted into the covenantal people of God. A prostitute becomes a proselyte. Now while in Israel, she meets a man. And that man's name is Salmon. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Salmon. Remember how I said understanding the New Testament's good foundation for understanding, or the Old Testament, good foundation for understanding the New Testament? In 1 Chronicles, we find out that Salmon is the founder of Bethlehem, built the city of Bethlehem. He's an upscale dude. Well, Salmon and Rahab fall in love. Well, how do I know that? Well, if you go to the New Testament, Matthew, the very first chapter. See, a lot of people don't like reading genealogies. This person beget that person. This father the follow that person, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's important. Because if you go to verse 5, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Salmon and Rahab fell in love and had a baby named Boaz. Well, if you know who Boaz is, that shifts us back to the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. Boaz was gleaning in the fields one day. He sees Ruth and goes, that's a pretty lady. Well, Naomi, her mother-in-law is a smart lady. She says, that's a possible kinsman redeemer. You could get married to him. So she gives Ruth some advice. Ruth lays herself at the feet of Boaz, says, take me as your husband. Take me under your wing. They get married. It then goes on to say that Boaz and Rahab had a baby named Obed. Well, Obed was the father of Jesse. 
And Jesse was the father of King David, who is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So what this tells me, folks, is that if a prostitute can become a proselyte, get married to an upscale man, and not only be written in Hebrews 11 as a hall of faither, but become a high-class lady in the lineage of Jesus Christ, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you've done it. Your past does not dictate your future. Amen. Now, if that doesn't knock your socks off, I don't know what does. This altar is going to be open. I have to ask, because I said this, it's important to remember that before you read anything in Joshua 2, Rahab had a saving faith before she could demonstrate any of the other kinds of faith. Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, for the surety of your eternal life. Now, I'm going to ask you to be bold. Is there anybody here who would say, Pastor Ryan, I've never done that. I've never given my life to the Lord. Would you just slip up your hand? Anybody, just slip up your hand. Okay. This altar is going to be open. Maybe you'd say, Ryan, I don't have a courageous faith. I live one way on Sunday. I live another way every other day of the week. You need to come get right with the Lord. Maybe you don't have a concerned faith. Or maybe you've been praying for that prodigal for so long and you're just so tired. Come up here and lay it down before the Lord. Or maybe you just need to say, God, just thank you for that covenantal covering. And I'm just going to trust in you. So whatever that is, there'll be people up here to pray for you. Don't leave today without doing business with the Lord. Let's worship. The altar's open. Welcome to stand as we worship. from 
the Son of Man returns, he asks us, will he find faith on the earth? So that's our prayer this morning, that he would just continue to give us more faith, to live on this earth with more faith and more intentionality. So let let that be our prayer as we sing this last song.
trust them today you know about two and a half three years ago I was working at Lowe's I was coaching gymnastics I didn't I had no idea what the Lord wanted me to do I had my parents pushing me maybe going towards education I I knew I wanted to help people I didn't know what that looked like. And the Lord gave me a a scripture. And it says, I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. And I felt like I heard the voice of the Lord saying, you need to stay at Lowe's. You need to keep coaching gymnastics. Just trust me. And I told you sometimes that faith it's kind of like in the old cartoons there's a chasm and somebody takes a step and then right before that rock comes up underneath it that's what faith is like sometimes he said trust me and just wait and see what I'll do he's called me into full time ministry September 26th I'll be married two years to my beautiful wife You know what I love about Rahab? Is she didn't let her past dictate the new role that God had for her. I also think of King David. When he was a shepherd boy. He had faith that the Lord of the God of the army of hosts was on his side. But he still had to pick out the rocks. He still had to put him in a sling. And it says that David ran into the battle. He made a faith decision. He trusted that I'm going to defeat that giant and I'm going to take his head back. We're always in one of three spots. We either just got done facing a giant, we are facing a giant, or we're going to face a giant. That's just the way life is. But when you have faith in the Lord of the God of the army of hosts, you'll take that giant's head back. He will fight our battles for us. Never forget that. You put all your chips in the middle. God will never fail. And he will take you to places you never thought you could go. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you call us to live by faith and not by sight. It'd be so much easier to live by sight, but Lord, we choose to trust you because our times are in your hands. Give us a courageous faith, Lord. Give us a concerned faith. Give us a confident faith and let us always remember that your covenant promises are yes and amen for those who are in Christ. Bless your people, I pray. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Don't leave if you need prayer. This altar's open. Don't forget to pick up your children. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. 
Go give them heaven. If they don't like it, tell them how to get there anyway. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.